presents Now is the Time, the reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman presented on Sunday, October 22nd, 2023. Please pray with me. Gracious God, giver of existence, spirit of life, in this time of wars and rumors of wars, of untold thousands made homeless by conflict, in this time of climate crisis and misfiring government, in this time when our minds and hearts are overloaded, empty us, empty us of our sadness, empty us of our, spear, our fear. Spirit, empty us of loneliness and despair, of anger and suspicion, of intolerance and apathy. Empty us of the need to blame others, empty us of hurtful language, Empty us of every negative thing so that there, be, there may be more room in our lives for your love, for love alone. Empty us that we may be filled. Amen. Let's listen together to see if we can find that voice of love in today's rather tart little gospel story. It's another one of those stories where Jesus takes a question that was meant to entrap him and turns it aside with a clever answer. But it is also something more and something for us. First, a little bit of background will help. The Jews of Jesus' day, as people throughout history who have lived under empire, were saddled with onerous taxes. There was a local temple tax, and there were Roman custom taxes, and there were taxes on the land. And in today's story, the Pharisees and the Herodians raise a question about yet another tax, the annual tribute tax paid to Rome. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And really, why should poor peasants in Palestine, Israel, send their hard-earned money all the way back to Rome, 1,400 miles away, and to its powerful, already rich emperor. Like most people, the people of Judea were split on what to do about this requirement of paying taxes. They disagreed about how to handle it. Those we might call realists cooperated with Rome and paid the tax. Maybe they did it out of conscience, maybe as a survival strategy. Who wanted undue attention from the iron fist of Rome? Just don't rock the boat. Pay the tax. The idealists, who were of a more nationalistic bent, resented and protested the economic stranglehold of Rome and the exploitation. And they, they um, resented this, and they protested out of principle. The Pharisees were the ones who protested and they opposed the rule of Rome, even as they found ways to accommodate the empire so that they could protect and wield power within their own community. The Herodians were a political group supporting Herod and the royal family. They were loyal to Rome and served at the emperor's pleasure. Now what on earth could possess these two groups of people, the Pharisees and the Herodians, to join forces well, of course, 
their common enmity towards Jesus. Because isn't that how we people often act? I will join forces with someone, not because I agree, but because together we disagree with that other one. To the Pharisees, Jesus was an upstart pretender to religious authority. He, had ni- he was neither born into a priestly family, nor was he educated as a leader. To the Herodians, loyal to Rome, he was a rebel and a troublemaker, and he was stirring up the peasantry to scoff at the deity of Caesar. Pharisees and Herodians may not typically have had much use for each other, but now, now it was just days before the start of Passover, when tensions in Jerusalem were always quite high, and Jesus had been teaching on the temple grounds for several days, and in those teaching, he had been dissing both parties. He'd been doing this for days, and they had had enough of him. And so, imagining that the enemy of my enemy is my friend, the two groups joined forces and employed another time-tested political trick. Fake respect and insincere flattery. Teacher, they said, giving him a title they absolutely did not think he deserved. We know that you are sincere. They know this because they are not. We know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth, and we know that you show deference to no one, though they very much wish that he would show them both deference and also the emperor. Tell us then what you think. And they set him their ensnaring question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Now, a note about money in the ancient world. You'll see a picture on your bulletin. When coins were first used way back in the 7th century BCE, they were a simple weight, usually of silver, marked with a symbol, each coin marked with a symbol of the place where it was created. Later, it became the custom for local rulers to put their heads on the coin as a sign of um, trustworthiness, certifying that the coin was actually worth the amount it said it was worth. It was a stamp of approval. It also became a form of propaganda, a way to consolidate power and control people. In Jesus' time, Caesar's face was stamped on every denarius, and this Roman coinage was used throughout the empire. Every time goods and services were exchanged, it was as if Caesar was there saying, this is mine. Every year when the tribute tax was taken, Caesar was there claiming, this is mine too. The people of Judea loathed it. Currency with a human face on it was the stuff of idolatry. To add to the offense, in addition to Caesar's likeness, each coin also bore an inscription. Tiberius Caesar, Augustus, son of divine Augustus. So in other words, Tiberius, son of God. This, the use of this money was a constant reminder of Rome's power and its blasphemy. Each time the yearly tribute tax of one denarius had to be paid, it was paid in money that proclaimed blasphemy about the divine Augustus and his son. Is it lawful, the Pharisees and Herodians asked, to pay taxes to Caesar? 
it seems like rather a perfect way to trap Jesus. If he agrees to the payment of this yearly tax, he will become immediately unpopular with the crowds of ordinary folks who are following him. They too feel that Caesar's face is everywhere, oppressing them, taking their livelihood, and this yearly tax was a deeply unpopular burden. In this tribute system, an annual payment, a portion of their livelihood, was given in return for protection and the right to merely live. They had no way to get out of it. If Jesus were to consent to that system, his followers might feel betrayed that one more religious leader was unable to stand up to Rome, was willing even to collude and keep the status quo going. We all know people we've been disappointed in for keeping the status quo going. On the other hand, if Jesus decided that it was unlawful to pay the tax, that would cement the Herodians' opinion that he was dangerously revolutionary, gathering followers who might just act to try to overthrow Rome. Either way, the, those two unlikely partners, the Pharisees and the Herodians, would have caught him out. Jesus, however, as usual in these tart little stories, was onto their malice. Why are you putting me to the test, he asked. And he very cleverly added, show me the coin that is used for that tax. Without a moment's hesitation, they brought him a denarius, which they ought not to have had on them in the temple precinct. Remember those money changers temples? Before you got into the temple proper, you changed your money for a, a shekel that didn't have a blasphemous image on it. But they had one in their pocket, the very one with the head of the emperor. By asking for a denarius, Jesus is showing both that he doesn't have one and that the religious leaders opposing him do. And their casual production of it within the temple itself is an unwitting fairly vivid confession. Think of it this way. Jesus, the one who has just driven away the money changers from the temple, sending those blasphemous coins scattering across the temple floor, and these religious and civic leaders, lo and behold, have one in their pocket. Whose image is on that coin, he asked them. The emperor's, they respond, obviously. And then came Jesus's unexpected answer. Give, therefore, to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. An answer that is both mild and shrewd. Now, this text has been used over the many centuries since it was first written down. It has been used and interpreted to mean that God's interests have nothing to do with this earth with money or taxes or government or politics, we should keep our mind on spiritual things. Indeed, the line's susceptibility to being interpreted that way is part of how Jesus wriggled out of his dilemma. On the surface, he seems to be saying, sure, pay taxes to the emperor. I'm interested in spiritual things. But that's only if we don't know who Jesus is. Because hidden in that seemingly superficial answer is a deeper one. Give the emperor his due and give God what is God's due. 
Give the emperor the things that bear his image, and give to God what bears God's image. What are the things of God, and what is it that bears God's image? Humans. All of creation is God-breathed, and everything is in fact spiritual, but it is human beings who are made in the image of God, who bear in our faces and our bodies the image of the divine. So it is we who should be given to God. This is a story who reminds us who we are and who all human beings are. In this moment, when war is raging on in Ukraine and the shocking Hamas terror attack has been answered by overwhelming firepower, killing thousands of innocent civilians and displacing hundreds of thousands, we are called to remember the image of God in ourselves and in every single one of those suffering people, on every side of those lines. Our conference minister wrote to us last week. Now, he said, is the time to remember who we are and who we value. It is very easy to be outraged and to denounce, and there is much that is outrageous and deserves denunciation. But I will read to you some of what Tyler reminded us. First, he said, there are no monsters. There are only people who hurt others. The things that have been done in Israel and Gaza in the past few weeks are horrifying and unjustifiable. In order to carry out these atrocities, people have had to disconnect their natural inclination toward compassion. If in response we find ourselves calling them monsters, or if we find ourselves justifying their actions, we are beginning to disconnect from our own capacity for compassion. We must seek to understand, and we must always seek justice. But we must never reach for dehumanizing language or justify intentionally harming civilians. Especially in moments like this, it's important to remember every opponent on every one of the complicated sides. All of us are people. Second, he asked, to he asked us to remember that God's peace is a just peace. The Central Pacific Conference has declared itself a just peace conference. We believe there can be no true peace without justice. Therefore, we know God wants both Palestinians and Israelis to be able to live in their homes secure and free from oppression. This means we must struggle against the anti-Semitism that has poisoned our world for 3,000 years, the same anti-Semitism that has so often been championed by Christians for at least the last 1,800 years. We must also oppose the 75 years of displacement and oppression of the Palestinian people who were driven from their homes and now live in apartheid conditions under the military occupation of Israel. God's peace is bigger and deeper than either of these things, and God's peace requires us to seek a just world for all the people. And finally, Tyler reminds us that we are not called to save the whole world, but we are called to love the people closest to us. And I would add, reach out beyond what we 
where we already love and draw more people close to us. Get proximate to where the suffering is. Tyler continues, in moments like this, it's easy to feel impotent and despairing. We are struggling against forces that are thousands of years old and against warring governments that spend billions of dollars and martial technologies, military technologies that boggle the mind and could literally destroy the planet. However, we are not alone. It is true that I cannot save the world and you cannot save the world. But we can love the people that are closest to us, and we can expand who is close to us. We can expand and keep expanding, and we can respond when people reach out to us. In the midst of this strategy, now is the time to continue the call for peace with justice and to love every single person we can reach with our voices, with our donations, with our actions. Now is the time to participate in God's ongoing creation, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly, even if we think we know what's going on, remembering to ask more questions, to be humble-minded and humble-hearted, to participate with the giver of all good things, rejoicing in all that is still good, and so much is still good. Encoded in that one enigmatic little answer, sure, give the emperor the things that are emperors. Jesus is also reminding his followers to give to God what is God's. During this fraught and frightening season, when the voices of anger and accusation are loud, our gospel lesson reminds us who and whose we are, made in God's image and called to love. Amen. Listen, listen, listen.